An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, Episode 352, submission number 834, The Royal Family. The Royal Family aired on CBS from September 18th, 1991 to May 13th, 1992. And then on Decades, on February 9th, 2019, for a total of 15 episodes. Guys, normally on this show, when a TV show is canceled, it's because of ratings or production mishaps or just because they couldn't find an audience for it or because it just flat out sucks. This might be the first time in a while, if ever, where we have a show that is canceled because of tragedy. And it all starts with Harlem Nights from, I want to say 1987, 1988? I believe it was 89. I can double-check real quick. Yeah, it was 1989. Yeah, it was 89. Eddie Murphy, who wrote and directed that movie, Notice the playful banter between stars Red Fox and Della Reese and decided what they need is a vehicle to showcase more of that playful banter. And so he created this show that was originally called Chest Pains. It was developed by somebody we talked about on this show before. Greg Antonacci, one of the uh, brothers on Making It from the 70s, David Naughton's brother. Remember, he went on to become a writer and producer. He wrote for this show. So Greg Antonacci and Eddie Murphy developed this show with this premise. An Atlanta mail carrier... Alexander Alfonso Al Royal and his wife Victoria are getting ready to enjoy a peaceful retirement until their daughter Elizabeth comes home. 
Do you get the joke? It's because Red Fox's wife on Sanford and Son was called Elizabeth. Marital Problems is bringing Elizabeth to the royal house for an extended visit to the point where she has her three kids with her. Eldest daughter, Kim, middle son, Curtis, and nine-year-old daughter, Hillary. The rest of the season was going to play out as these three generations coming together as a family, trying to make it as best they can. Of course, Al Royal was played by the legendary Red Fox. Victoria Royal, his wife, was played by the also legendary Della Reese. Rounding out the family were a combination of established actors who were looking for their big primetime break and first-time kids. Playing the daughter, Elizabeth, would be Marianne Alda, who played Dee Dee Bannister on the ABC soap opera Edge of Night, one of the first African-Americans to play on that show. She played in 391 episodes. Of course, we talked about her. She was in one episode of The Last Precinct from 1986, a show whose lasting claim to fame was it squandered the post-Super Bowl plot. And by the way, since we did that episode, Jaguar Gator 9 on YouTube has done a video about The Last Precinct and how it lost the Super Bowl audience. Playing eldest daughter Kim is Silver Gregory, who would have been and would still be a That Girl from That Thing. She was on episodes of Where I Live, Sinbad, Family Matters, and Law and Order. Middle child Curtis was played by Lorenz Tate, who would be known for such landmark roles as O-Dog in the movie Menace to Society and Councilman Rashad Tate in Power. He was also part of the main cast of Love Monkey, on CBS, South Central on Fox, and Game of Silence on NBC. So yes, Lorenz Tate was, and still is, busy. Playing the youngest daughter, Hillary, a then-unknown actress by the name of Naya Rivera. You remember Naya Rivera from a landmark role on Glee as Santana Lopez. Sadly, no longer with us. And those are the members of the royal family that started out the season. There's going to be more as the time goes by. So let's talk about the episodes. First, we had the pilot. Alfonso is getting ready for a nice, relaxing retirement when his daughter and grandchildren come to visit. He soon finds out that they are there for more than just... A visit. Of course, the story written by Eddie Murphy and the teleplay by Greg Antonacci. But aside from that, it's just pretty much establishing the premise. Episode 2, Homework Bound. Thanks to, or in spite of, Al's history tutelage at the bowling alley, Curtis scores an 
A on a test, but not without having something up his sleeve. Like, the answers, maybe? Chico? Mm-hmm? I had been a professional teacher for 17 years. Yes, you have. Kids never cheat. <laughs> and I said that with a straight face. Your, your, your face is still very much straight. I commend your honesty. Playing the teacher in this episode, Ignatius Faversham. Tom Wright. Known as the chief of police on season one of Martial Law. A detective on Barbershop. And in four episodes as Morgan on Seinfeld. The episodes were from season six and season seven, Greg. The Pledge Drive, The Mom and Pop Store, The Diplomats Club, and The Wink. Oh, you know who's in the Pledge Drive episode of Seinfeld? Who is in the Pledge Drive episode of Seinfeld? Mike, you're going to love this name, okay? Okay. Danny Tortable. Ah, that's great. Was he on the Yankees at this point? Yes. He was was off the Royals? Okay. Wow, that's great. That would just make sense right there. That would just make sense. But yeah, like everybody on the cast of Martial Law, Tom Wright was trained in the deadly arts. Let's just say. Well, everybody except for Arsenio Hall, he was just there to be funny. Episode three, me and my stuff. Curtis opts to secede from the manor when the royal king denies his request for his own room. Think about it. It's a teenage boy wanting his own room in an already crowded house. We have a recurring character introduced in this episode. Playing Buddy, Jermaine Hopkins, a.k.a. Big Hug, a.k.a. Huggy. And you'd know him as Thomas Sams, big guy, in Lean on Me. Steel in Juice, Kilo in How to Be a Player, and Dupre in 10 episodes of The Wayans Brothers. He was that fat guy from that thing. Oh, and the Waynes Brothers, that's another underrated theme song. Oh, yeah. I Uh, won't sing it, but... yes, We we can't sing it because it's an actual song. It's like ASCAP would be on our tails here. But also, it's so horrible, but it's so great. I was waiting for the follow-up on that. No, 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 because the beginning for the song I meant... Ah, it is really good. It is really yeah. good. Episode four. Something you like to do, Greg. Talking baseball. Kim's baseball success against Curtis and a friend inspires her to try out for the varsity team, starting a squabble with Al about a woman's place in a man's game. Well, what day did this air, Chico? This aired on October 9th, 1991. Ah, that makes sense because the Major League Baseball playoffs would be starting. And of course, CBS had Major League Baseball at the time. So it would kind uh, of be timely and fitting right in with the network. But holy cow, 
something's about to go down here because we have a guy who's playing Satchel Page. Oh, who did they get to play Satchel Page? Playing Satchel Page, Ken Forey. And you probably remember him as Keenan's dad on Keenan and Kel. Oh, that's terrific. They got Keenan's dad from Keenan and Kel to play Satchel Page. Kind of looks like him, actually. But also, we'd be remiss, Mike. He was on the 48 Cleveland team that won the World Series. Oh, absolutely he was, yes. We're not talking about Ken Forey. We're talking about Satchel Page, just in case you couldn't tell. And by the way, you can't see this, but I'm wearing an Oakland A's t-shirt. And I should be remiss if I mention that Satchel Page pitched for the Kansas City Athletics at the age of 59. And spoiler, Satchel Page was still damn good at 59. Yes, he was. Absolutely. Oh, on this episode, playing David Lamone is Sean Harrison. He played Waldo Faldo on Family Matters. Oh, yes, Waldo Faldo. Everybody loved Waldo. But hold on a second. Have I mentioned the subplot episode in the Boom 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 episode of Family Matters? No, you haven't, but I want to hear this. I'm listening. Okay, the subplot in the Boom 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 episode of Family Matters is, okay, Waldo is baking a cake for his home ec class. So while he's going out on a date. With Maxine. With Maxine, yeah. Jerry Johnson. Yes, Sherry Johnson. I mean, missed. I was trying to think. Wait. Oh, yeah. It was Sherry Johnson. Duh. Yeah. Eddie and uh, Steve come into the room while he's out on the date. And he's like, oh, wow. This is cake here. Oh, my God. Waldo baked the cake. Would he mind if we eat it? No, of course not. So they eat the entire cake. And they find out that Waldo baked a cake for his home ec class. And they're like, oh, crap. So the whole episode is them trying to bake a cake to make sure Waldo doesn't know they eat the cake. They don't know how to bake? No. Steve and Eddie, they don't know how to make a cake. I mean, Steve Urkel knows a lot of things. Baking a cake is not one of them. No. Even though Steve Urkel can make a cloning machine and can invent a time machine, he does not know how to make a cake. Okay, that entire plot, I'm sorry. Married with Children did it years earlier and probably did it a little bit better. Because there is an episode where Kelly and Peg, Peg actually had to go back to school because she didn't graduate because she needed a credit of home ec. So her and Kelly were in the same class. And Kelly had to do like roast leg of lamb. And somehow Peg lucked out and had to do jello. Or maybe it was the other way around. I think it was Peg had to do the roast leg of lamb and Kelly had to do jello. Regardless, what happened is Al had a bout of hunger in the middle of the night one night. He goes downstairs, smells something really delicious. He sees this platter with this dome over it, pulls it up and sees it's roast leg of lamb. Oh my gosh, roast leg of lamb. I haven't eaten in you know years. You know, you've seen Mary and Sullivan eat. They make the jokes about he's never eaten. His eyes get really huge. And he ah, goes into the leg of lamb. 
And so the next morning, when they found out the leg of lamb has been eaten, but the jello hasn't, Pig uh, reverses the cards and gives Kelly the leg of lamb card. And she has the index card saying jello. So she opens, reveals it. Oh, good job. You get an A, uh, Peggy Bundy. And then Kelly <laughs> opens up the dome and you see the bones of the leg of lamb just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> And she wasn't able to graduate because that was the credit she needed to graduate. So she had to go to summer school. Oops. <laughs> but I'm sure, like I said, they did a good job with that similar plot on Family Matters. But it almost sounds like I Love Lucy-ish. They don't know how to make a cake. Hilarity ensues. Would have been funny, though, if Al Bundy walked in and ate the cake after they made it. <laughs> All right, continue. I'm sorry. I just wanted to check. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Episode five, a midsummer night's barbecue. The Royals have a neighborhood barbecue in their backyard, and Al is upset to find out that his old rival, Langston White, is coming to the barbecue. Langston White in this episode, played by Robert Hooks, known for Greg. He played Admiral Morrow on Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Yeah, because remember, we talked about him in the Facts of Life Season 1 because he was Tootie's dad. Yep. He was the one who told Captain Kirk, oh, I'm sorry, Admiral Kirk, as he was known then, no, don't go to the Genesis plant to rescue Spock, Jim. Don't yeah. go there. And he you know was like, going to. And he yeah, was I'm going like, to go yeah. there. Yeah, he's going to go there. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. He's going to go there. Oh, my God. James B. Seeking, come on and stop this. And no, because James B. Seeking couldn't stop it because Scotty messed up the warp drive on the Excelsior. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he plays a rival of Red Fox on this episode. Also on this episode, playing Lee J. Christopher Carter, who is actually a prominent voiceover actor. He actually played roles on The Proud Family, Mighty Max, Swamp Thing. Okay, he played the role of Kid in the 1990 Kid in Play cartoon. There was a Kid in Play cartoon. I remember the Kid in Play cartoon. Yes, there was. And we talked about him on this podcast because he also played the role of Trevor in the... Rigmas episode of Good Morning, Miss Bliss. Okay. Playing Reverend Cook, Reynaldo Ray. He was on the Family Feud episode of 227. I was going to say he played the mailman on 227. It says he was on 18 episodes. Yeah, that's when they go on the Ray Combs version, right? Yep. He was also in Harlem Nights, by the way. Episode 6. What's love got to do with it? The budding relationship between Elizabeth and a doctor thrills Al, but Victoria has doubts. The doctor, Dr. Mark Thomas, he does look like a doctor, played by James A. Watson Jr., known as Dunn in Airplane 2, the sequel, but also played... Deputy District Attorney Jim Barnes on 10 episodes of Quincy. And he also played a doctor on a show we talked about before, 
Sanford. So yes, he plays doctors and the occasional uh, space line pilot. Episode 7, Educating Al. The show starts with Al talking about cemetery plots. Elizabeth tries to find a preschool for Hillary. Should be noted that this was the final episode that Red Fox completed before his death. Playing a teacher, Mr. Spencer, Phil Lamar of Mad TV and Samurai Jack, most notably. No, no, I'm going to override you on that. Mad TV and Samurai Jack? No, I'm going to override you on Samurai Jack. I'm not going to override you on Mad TV. He voiced Hermes on Futurama. Yes, Hermes. Oh, oh, wait, okay, all right, wait. Is that back on now? Is Futurama back on now? Because it keeps going on and off and on and off. Didn't who? It just got announced, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys, I'm sorry. I'm officially taking Samurai Jack off that little list because I got one better than that. Not just was he Hermes on Futurama. Phil Lamar voices Ollie Williams on Family Guy. What? He's reading sideways. He gonna get it. He also voices a judge. And obviously, if you've seen Family Guy for almost 25 years now, Peter Griffin gets into various legal issues. It seems that Phil Lamar always plays the judge. If you remember the first episode with the uh, setup uh, where the judge finds him guilty and all the Griffins go, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And then Kool-Aid Man runs through the wall and says, oh, yeah. He's the judge in that. And also a couple of other episodes where the judge role has been played. But, yeah, Phil Lamar, great voice talent, funny guy. I loved him on Mad TV. These episodes aired on Wednesday nights on CBS opposite Unsolved Mysteries on NBC. Nope, that's all you had to say right there. And Dinosaurs on ABC. Oh, no, that's a double gut punch. But here's the thing. They didn't do terribly. I got a question. Did any of the episodes air against the episode of Dinosaurs where Robbie got jacked on steroids? No. No, that was like season three, wasn't it? So that'd be like 93. Yeah, that would be be way down the line, man. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. And also, Greg, it wasn't steroids. We can't say that. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. It's not steroids. You cannot say that Wednesday nights at 8 on ABC. No, it's Theranoids. It's, yeah. Theranoids. It's Theranoids. Theranoids. Theranoids, whatever. Same thing. (laughs) But yeah, the show itself did not do terribly. It was well written. It was well produced. And you could tell that there was a whole lot of chemistry between all of the castmates. However, something happened on October 11th, 1991, that would change everything for this show. And we're going to talk about it right after these era-appropriate commercials. Sparky's Big Game Wisdom. You need delivery in the clutch. 
So call Domino's Pizza. They've been coming through with clutch deliveries for over 30 years. Call now and get a Domino's Pizza delivered for the game. Nobody knows like Domino's. Payday. Jeopardy. Any questions? Weeknights at 7.30 on WTOC. Coming your way at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, the New Orleans Saints, off to one of their best starts ever, take on the Rams in Anaheim. Elsewhere, it's the Phoenix Cardinals challenging the Cowboys in Dallas. The action starts at 4 Eastern here on CBS. This is CBS. I'm Paula Zahn with an Olympic profile. Next, jumping after a role model. The Talking about the real thing. So you know, my friend, a smile you want to see A strong competitor in the Nordic Combine is Japan's Masashi Abe. Abe, like many Japanese youngsters, caught ski jumping fever after the 72 Olympic success of Yukio Kasaya. Now Abe has the chance to inspire another generation of Japanese young people. Coca-Cola Classic, sponsor of this profile and the Winter Olympics on CBS. How does a princess break into showbiz? What's the catch? I said you could stay here. He's going to be living with us? Princesses, next. There'll be major laughs. On your tiny shoulders rest the hopes, dreams, and passions of everyone who loves this place we call Hollis. On Major Dad at a special time. No pressure, dear. And major fun with Martians. Night Court's Richard Mall and Cheers, Rhea Perlman in the last Halloween. An all-new hour of family fun, Monday. <laughs> On October 11th, 1991, while producing the next episode that was going to air, Red Fox was on set with the rest of the castmates when he suffered a massive heart attack during rehearsal. Joshua Rich of Entertainment Weekly wrote at the time, it was an end so ironic that for a brief moment, castmates figured Fox whose 1970s TV character often faked heart attacks, was kidding when he grabbed a chair and fell to the floor. Fox was later taken to Queen of Angels Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center, where that evening, he died. According to Della Reese's autobiography, there was constant tension between Red Fox and one of his producers, she feels that this was due to racism on the producer's part. And according to Reese, Fox suffered his fatal heart attack immediately after an argument with that producer. She stated that the producer showed no sorrow or respect when Fox was pronounced dead. An episode that was shot as a tribute to Fox and his character was scrapped because said producer deemed it too sad. Ultimately, CBS decided to pull the show from the lineup 
while it underwent a retooling, only saying, like any family, the royal family will go on. And so the royal family did go on, and it was retooled with the addition of Jack A. Harry to the cast as Ruth Royal, originally billed as the younger sister to Victoria Royal, but later reworked as the elder daughter to Victoria Royal? Meh. Anyway, Ruth moved in to help the family cope with Al's sudden death. After that episode that aired in November, they took a few months, and the show returns to the lineup in April of 1992. We're going to go over that episode right now. It is New Beginnings, and this was the last episode that aired in November of 1991. Victoria learns that Al has died at a bowling alley, and his funeral is attended by many of his old friends, including Sanford and Son alumni Bubba Bexley and Slappy White. Bubba Bexley, of course, played Elston, and Slappy White played Shag Robinson. And we just talked about Slappy White on the previous episode on That's My Mama. And from there, we fast forward to April 8th, 1992. The Sneakin' Deacon. Victoria sees a match with Elizabeth and the new church deacon, but the deacon makes a play for Ruth, who doesn't like his game plan. Playing Deacon Hudson, Ron Glass. Oh, yeah, you can't see it, but Chico did the Ron Glass face from that EVC Now is the Time promo. Yes, because, of course, that would be um, him in Barney Miller. He was not yet cast for the new Odd Couple. The new Odd Couple wasn't even a thing back then. I think Ron Glass is making a good case for the Hall of Fame. And also, let's remember, he played a recurring character as a doctor on former installment Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. Yes, he did. Hey, Tim Stack. Ron Glass was also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was. And one more thing, we also see a recurring character come out of this episode, Willis Tillis, played by Barry Shabaka Henley. Nowadays, he is on Bob Hart's Abishola. Second straight episode! Yep. With a Bob Hart's Abishola reference. Yeah, and this was after he was on Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Future Entry Luck, playing a parole officer because Lord knows Michael Mann needed the work then. But also on this episode, playing Art, Omar Gooding. Known for his work on Wild and Crazy Kids and Smart Guy, and also for being Cuba Gooding Jr.'s younger brother. Hold on a second. You also forgot that Omar Gooding was also on Hanging with Mr. Cooper. He was a recurring player in uh, seasons one and two, bumped up to main player for the rest of the run. Yes, but also we have on the list the episode of Hanging with Mr. Cooper, 
where Mr. Cooper played against Charles Barkley in the preseason when he was with the Warriors. He's going to get his ass kicked. He's going to get his ass kicked like Guillermo got his ass kicked by Carlos Boozer. Again, what is a person who's like 5'3", five, 5'4", five, doing driving the lane to make a layup against a person who's 6'10"? Makes no sense. Now, 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 Mike. Mark Curry is at least 6'2". Uh, Mark Curry is like 6'6", six, six, but I'm talking about Guillermo, who's like 5'4". Did Mark Curry earlier this evening go for a layup against Carlos Boozer? No. No. It was Guillermo. Little Guillermo. Carlos Carlos Boozer just blocked him like this guy. And by the way, we're recording this show the night of the celebrity game. We are all disappointed the Miz's half-court shot did not go in. It did not count the half-court shot the Miz made. But let's be honest. It was an incredible shot the Miz made. It was an incredible shot indeed. Well, let's not lie. We're just disappointed that Guillermo didn't put anything in the bucket either. No, but he did have a shot that was stuck on the rim. He did. He did, yes. Episode 10, Status Bro. Ruth regrets being cool toward Willis, while Curtis is anything but cool after being gifted with the discount version of an expensive jacket. And we once again have appearances by Omar Gooding as Art and Jermaine Hopkins as Buddy. And at this point, I just want to point out something that I forgot earlier. In one episode, fun fact here, this is a fun fact. In one episode, while Al is waiting for an Atlanta Braves baseball game, to air the street beater by quincy jones aka the theme song to sanford and son can be heard playing on the television al then says i love this show i love how he says you big dummy so let me get this straight so sanford and son exists in the universe of this show as a tv show as a tv show so is this like a last action hero thing where somebody else is playing the role of Fred Sanford instead of Red Fox. It's gotta be. At this point, it's gotta be. Episode 11. Hello, I must be going. Ruth takes off after Victoria takes her to task for being a poor influence on Kim and Curtis. No names of note, but check out the writers and the directors. Uh, David Garber and Michael Porteous, known for their work on... A number of shows. David Garber was working on Good Morning, Miss Bliss, and The Fall Guy, and Sweet Valley High, and like two, three seasons of the Power Rangers franchise. And Michael Porteous would be working on Saved by the Bell and Hannah Montana, and That's So Raven. And Jack Shea is like a company director with uh, Columbia Pictures. He was working with uh, Silver Spoons, Designing Women, and The Jeffersons. And also The Bob Hope Show. So yeah, he was working on a lot of things. I'm going to make a case that there is a name on this episode. All right. This is just a man. Doesn't have a name, just called Man is Ron Ross 
And once you hear what he was on, you'll know why I said I'm going to make a case for him. He was on five episodes of Night Court, the OG Night Court, playing Bailiff Dirk. What he did was he was like a fill-in bailiff if like uh, Bull or uh, Marsha Warfield's character, they were sick or on assignment or something, they couldn't be in court. He was like the backup bailiff. And he was like the scrawniest little thing. He did not look like a bailiff. He was not tall like Bull Shannon. He was not tall like Richard Mole. And he was not as built as Marsha Warfield. He did not have the girth. He did not have the height. He was this little... He was basically the male version of Selma. He was like... uh, Okay. I was going to say, he's like the 97-pound weakling you hear about like in the Charles Atlas uh, ads. He did not look like a bailiff, but he played a bailiff. Episode 12, The Fame Game. Curtis gets a swelled head after being chosen to appear with Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. Not that Dr. Dre. A different Dr. Dre. Yeah, this is the fat Dr. Dre from Yo! MTV Raps. Yes. On an episode of Yo MTV raps. And yes, we see Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, not that Dr. Dre. Well, that's good. I'm glad Ed Lover was on this episode. Also appearing on this episode, Cindy Heron. I believe we talked about her if on a previous entry. If not, we know her as one fourth of En Vogue. Well, you're never going to get it. Not this time, though. You're never going to get it. I knew you were going to do that. But let's not forget, En Vogue was the musical guest on the SNL episode in 1997 where Jeff Goldblum hosted, which featured the classic sketch with Will Ferrell's Harry Carey asking (laughs) Jeff Goldblum if he'd eat the moon if it were made out of ribs. Another name on this episode, playing Joe Corey, Bumper Robinson. And really, what hasn't he done? Oh, he's done everything. And take a look at his IMDb. I totally forgot about this. He played Leon, another Night Court reference. On Night Court, he was like the orphan that uh, Harry Stone befriended in like season two, season three. He was one of those guys that can be both seen and heard in everything. He played the voice of Falcon in Disney Infinity Marvel Superheroes, and he was the voice of Falcon in the video game adaptation of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. He was also the first voice of Franklin on the uh, Charlie Brown specials. He also played a young O.J. Simpson in the O.J. Simpson story from 1995. Oh my god, I forgot about that. I saw that when it aired. It was terrible. It was so terrible. Obviously rusted television because of OJ Mania back in the day. Yeah. Oh, it was. I wonder if they got anybody to play Judge Ito. Looking. (laughs) Oh no. Greg, why did you say that? If there wasn't somebody playing Judge Ito that special, then this movie can go F itself. Greg? 
Well, this yeah. movie could officially go F itself. Oh, no, Judge Ito. No, Judge Ito. Oh, but, we do have another, uh, but we do have another appearance from Marianne Alda as Eunice Simpson. Eunice Simpson? Yeah, man. I don't know, man. I don't know. All right. I just, I just don't know. Well, well it just, it sounds like a character from Mama's Family. I know this is Eunice on Mama's Family, but it sounds like a Mama's Family character. Episode thirteen, the last episode to air before the show was ultimately canceled. Mo money. Curtis finds his part-time job taxing time-wise when he has to work extra hours to cover the tax man's share previously earmarked for other expenses. I'm going to argue that this is a name here, but playing a guy by the name of Bob Bryant, Bo Billingsley, he is the role of Jet Black on all 26 episodes of Cowboy Bebop. The cartoon, not the live-action show. And now we're going to fast-forward 27 years to episode 14, Coco in charge. Coco, by the way, is Ruth's nickname. Victoria takes a trip to Uncle Ed's and leaves Coco in charge of the kids. Now, no names in the cast for this episode, but check out the writers. The writing team of Mike Scully and Brian Scully. Oh, from The Simpsons. Yes, from The Simpsons. And now we go to the last episode. The Big Stink. Victoria gets a job working at the store with Coco. Kim has a school project that teaches her about marriage and family life. We have a return performance by uh, Bumper Robinson as Joe Corey. But playing Nina Martin as a teacher. Jonelle Allen from Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And at least one week of match game. Yeah, she was a known entity back in the late 70s, early 80s. She didn't just do match game. She did body language. She was and still is all over the place. But yeah, that's the show. And while ratings did very well in the first half of the season, when the show came back in April... It was still up against Unsolved Mysteries, but now it was up against The Wonder Years on ABC. Ratings never recovered, and the show was canceled with two episodes remaining in the season. Of course, those two episodes would air eventually as part of the package on Decades Network. All of the episodes can be streamed Unofficially, the show was never given a proper home video release, but you can watch all of the episodes online, unofficially, on YouTube. And you can definitely see that in the first seven episodes with Redbox, the show was on its game. Everything was falling into place. The show had the audience. The cast had the chemistry. Everything was just going right. This was a show that was built for success. And in the last eight episodes, you can tell that they were obviously working through the motions. They were trying to put out 
as good a quality show as they can, given all the circumstances. But the show just could not recover. It was always going to be Red Fox's baby. And not just because, and this is from IMDb, the reason this sitcom came about was so Red Fox could pay off his back taxes, which were reportedly astronomical. But the ratings were never as there were. It didn't even finish the order. Like the week after, CBS aired a Country Music Hall of Fame at 25 special. And the week after that, they started airing repeats of Davis Rules. So, thoughts, gentlemen? I think it's a prime example of what happens when the star dies. Especially when it's a big star like Red Fox. That was, like, the main genesis of this show was Red Fox and Del Reese talking, bantering like old friends on the set of Harlem Nights and Eddie Murphy catching lightning in a bottle. You don't get that sort of idiosyncrasy. That just doesn't happen. I mean, you capture that lightning in a bottle, and then you build around it. And for something like what happened to happen, that's just tragic. How do you even continue from that? Well, they did continue... And what started out as ingenious comedy and in addition to a legacy of everybody involved ultimately became a very somber and very tragic thing on TV. Hopefully we did the legacy of Red Fox proud with this episode. And if not, well... I'm sure he's looking up on heaven and calling us a big dummy. Anyway, you can listen to all of our episodes over at ItWasATheThingOnTV.com. There you can also follow all of our socials at ItWasATheThingOnTV, except on Facebook, where we're at ItWasATheThingOnTVPodcast. We're also on Mastodon, believe it or not, so don't forget. Yeah, go to at ItWasATheThingOnTV at TVWatch.40. There you'll Follow us on our Mastodon page. You can figure it out. Sometimes it's very complicated with Mastodon, considering like what servers, like the certain server you're on, is featured on other servers. I don't know. It's Mastodon can be very weird. But if you can find us, go in the search bar and go at it was a thing on TV at tvwatch.party and follow us, and you'll be connected to us there. And also, we are available where all fine podcasts can be streamed. Don't forget, like and subscribe, rate and review. Five stars only because positive vibes only. Even though we never get five star reviews on iTunes. Let's be honest. But if you can give us a five star review on iTunes, I'll send you something. I'll try to find something and I'll send it to you. I don't know what it would be, but I'll send you something. So please do that. Well, Greg, you've now said that out loud. You can't go back on that promise. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, um, you're going to want to be with us next week, where not only are we talking about 
a show that was almost stillborn because two of its stars were on an unsavory movie from Canada. But also, I don't know if you guys know this, but Mike is having a birthday. He is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And because Mike is having a birthday, he wants us to talk about a puppet. But not just any puppet. Perhaps the most famous puppet, non-animal, of the 1970s. Well, hold on a second. I gotta mention something. Now, unfortunately, for the second episode, I won't be around for most of it, but I promised you something. So we're gonna have a third wheel in this episode. So we got... I found somebody who can help watch the show while I'm away for the second episode. So I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, no, trust me. You're not going to have a bad feeling about this. It's going to be a good... I promise you, you're going to enjoy what I got for this second episode. I feel honored that I'm going to have some special guest, a presumably one-time-only guest, appearing on my Money in the Bank episode. Who knows? It might not be a one-time thing. Who knows? Maybe he'll be a regular member of the cast. Before all of that, Greg and I are going to have another live Saturday film watch because this is, if my math is correct, the 15th anniversary. Yes, it's the 15th anniversary year of the MCU. Mm Mm-hmm. And since we got Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania out, why not go to where it all began with the first Iron Man movie from 2008? Yep. Back when the uh, MCU was not even a glimmer in Kevin Feige's eye. Well, he it just... was a glimmer in his eye, but it was like a dream. Yeah, it was a dream. And it wouldn't have taken form until Disney bought up the Marvel company. So all of that's happening in the week to come right here on It Was A Thing On TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other and we will see you for the next one. It's a red alert when the grandkids move in on Red Fox. Let a man get a little peace and quiet. It's the season's most irresistible comedy, Raves Newsweek. You gonna sit there and defy the man that made love to you last night? Rolling over on me accidentally in your sleep ain't my idea, making love. Five days to the royal family on Red Hot Wednesday.